for the Newsmax Daily from Newsmax, America's fastest-growing cable news channel. Now, now, here's your host, Rob Carson. Here is your host, Rob Carson. The weekend is over. Did you miss me? Okay, please don't honestly answer that. <laughs> oh, I missed you guys because uh, this weekend I spent the entire weekend doing my honey-do list. Yeah, it was. It's it's true. It's real. For those of you who are not married, run. No, uh, I installed uh, two toilets, actually, and started the third. Yeah, it was one of the many things that I... And, and then as the weekend progressed, I kept getting more stuff. And I'm like, finally, I said, I had to put my... I put my foot down. And I said, no, I can't do anything else. Anyway, welcome to the show. I've got a ton of good things to get to. Uh, did you ever see the movie Demolition Man? If you haven't seen the movie Demolition Man, please watch this movie. It's Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, a fantastic movie. And I had no idea when that movie came out in the mid-90s that we would be so close to becoming the dystopian world that exists in that movie. I'll explain as unarmed rangers in Portland are going to approach armed suspects and uh, defuse and defuse instead of investing in cops. They want to invest in unarmed rangers. That's perfect if Yogi and Boo Boo are stealing picnic baskets, but not if somebody has a gun and is holding someone hostage. This, this is not going to work. I have had it, boo-boo. Every day it's the same old thing. Look at the bears, look at the bears, look at the bears. Sheesh. So anyway, welcome to the show, guys. Download the app on Newsmax, the Newsmax app on your phone. And then if you need to check listings for all of our programming, NewsmaxTV.com. David Hogg, he is a Parkland, uh, Parkland shooting survivor. He's giving up on his role in the new uh, pillow company that he launched to compete with MyPillow. Just going back to activism, this is the perfect thing. He's going to Harvard where he will undoubtedly earn a worthless degree and then go on to activism, uh, just like the uh, Black Lives Matter founders. And I'll get to one of them getting four palatial homes worth $3 million while local chapters of BLM are uh, struggling, <laughs> struggling. It's amazing how these Marxists are. Anyway, he announced uh, on Saturday's Twitter, resigned and released all shares, any ownership and any control of Goodfellow, LLC. The reasons for my departure uh, rest entirely with me and my own personal commitments as I truly wish William Legate nothing but the best. Over the last several months, I will be taking some time to focus on my studies in college. Maybe go through puberty. You might want to do that while you're at it, too. And advance the gun violence prevention movement with March for Our Lives and personally. There you go. He claimed the progressive competition could put Mike Lindell's company out of uh, business because Mike Lindell is a Trump supporter. And the problem is, you see, you, ha you have to have a superior product. You have to bring it to market. You have to uh, market it. And you can't just do it because you're mad at somebody and you're throwing a little temper tantrum because you're a little snowflake. All right? So uh, Mike Lindell invited the competition, and <laughs> the, the competition has done a, a complete face plant. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Uh, he uh, said that Legate, the owner of the company, will fulfill their vision of building an ethical company that produces products that people need while creating good union-paying jobs and supporting social causes at the same time and pricing themselves out of competition and then ultimately going out of business. I just added that. So did you watch SNL over the weekend? SNL, nobody watches SNL anymore. They usually just catch the, uh, the highlights. They did a cold open, and uh, there were four people doing a parody of a Minneapolis newscast. And, of course, it assumed the worst of the people of uh, Minneapolis, that they're all racist. And racist jurors in the uh, Derek Chauvin trial would uh, let the police officer off the hook because Minneapolis is so lily white. And I lived in Minneapolis for five years. The show opened up with uh, Kate McKinnon and another guy as the white anchors and then two black anchors, Keenan Thompson and Ego Nwadam. Apparently, uh, McKinnon said, you know, there's no way that Derek Chauvin walks away from this. And then the two black cast members, of course, say that, of course, he will. We don't doubt it just because, uh, you know, Minneapolis is white and everybody there is racist. And no matter what happens. And by the way, this sets things up for a very bad situation because they also essentially give thumbs up to violence. OK, and I'll explain that in just one second. Here's a little bit of SNL. City, I hope justice is mm -hmm. finally served. Agreed. I'm with you there. Okay. Yes, absolutely. The last thing we want is another riot. Amen to that. And I think we can all agree that. And this is the white. These are the white anchors. No matter how bad things are, destroying property is never the answer. Uh, I wouldn't say that. And there's the uh, the African American anchors saying, I, you know, maybe destruction of property is actually called for. <laughs> it just 
property. There's insurance. Well, it is just property. There's just insurance. That's just not even funny. Did you realize that one of the owners of a business in Minneapolis, and there was $550 million worth of damage done to Minneapolis, and I used to live in the area where most of it was done. There was a liquor store that was burned down. And I used to go there all the time, Minnetonka Liquors, and they found the owner days later. He burned to death in the building. I'm sorry, but it's not just property. I mean, I just think protests should be nonviolent. Well, thank you for that little note, Craig. Yes. <laughs> There you go. They are in endorsing violence. And by the way, there was a bunch of it over the weekend. There was a, a man shot. He's 24 years old, led a police on a high-speed chase, had a criminal background, and uh, the city burned. Actually, it didn't really burn. They just looted because, you know, looting uh, is the, the ultimate way to get back at the man, I guess. It's stealing shoes really, really doesn't help your cause. Speaking of not helping your cause, BLM co-founder Patrice Colors, 37, recently bought a plush property in Topanga Canyon in the Tony area of Los Angeles for $1.4 million. She also bought three other homes in the past five years. According to the New York Post, the head of New York's uh, BLM chapter now calling for an investigation into the organization's finance, asking how much Colors has contributed to charity. Uh, BLM brought $90 million in last year, mostly because of guilt. You know, mostly because of threatening businesses with putting them out of business and guilt. And by the way, uh, Black Lives Matter was founded on a lie. It was a, it was a case that uh, hands up, don't shoot never happened. So anyway, uh, she is also, by the way, I might mention a, uh, a Marxist. Now, if you're a Marxist or you're a socialist, you should probably live in government housing and you should earn the same wage as everyone else. If you're really going to live by that, but we know that socialists never do that. The leaders of socialists never do that. We've seen this in socialist countries. The leaders live in castles and the bourgeois, they live in uh, government housing. Uh, Bernie Sanders, a prime example. He preaches socialism, but he has literally, he has four houses. He rents one of them and he owns three. I've only got one house. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder where the mortgage is going to come from. Weird that way. Topanga County, by the way, 88% of the residents are white. Just 1.8% are black. This is, this is where the, the Marxist Black Lives Matter radical founder, race baiter, chose to go in a lily, 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 lily white neighborhood. I mean, that's even wider than my neighborhood. You know, I live in Kansas City area. My neighbors, I'd say I've got a bunch of uh, uh, black neighbors and I've got some Hispanic neighbors. This is like, wow, I mean, 1.8% black. Unbelievable. Now, the news has uh, angered Hawk Newsom. Hawk Newsom. That's a fantastic name. I wish I used that for the air name. Could you imagine the Newsmax Daily with Hawk Newsom? Oh, well, he's got it. Anyway, he's a head of the Black Lives Matter in greater New York City area who uh, says a probe into Kohler's finances is needed. If you go around calling yourself a socialist, you have to ask how much of your own personal money is going to charitable causes. He said to the publication, Hillary Clinton comes to mind with her Clinton Foundation that folded literally a month after she wasn't elected. Uh, it's really sad. It makes people doubt the validity of the movement. <laughs> no kidding. Overlook the fact that it's the people that carry this movement. The people! Uh, in addition to the Topanga Canyon property, the New York Post reports that she got a, a custom ranch in Conyers, Georgia for $415,000. <laughs> Listen to this. It comes with a pool and an airplane hangar. <laughs> That'll show the man. That'll show the man. Wow. Oh, and the Post is also reporting that colors was also eyeing property uh, at the ultra-exclusive Albany Resort outside Nassau, the Bahamas, where Justin Timberlake and Tiger Woods have homes. The publication didn't cite sources for its information. However, news that Colors had purchased the $1.4 million Topanga uh, Canyon <laughs> residents raised eyebrows on social media. Uh, some critics argued that the living in a multi-million dollar home was at odds with her social justice mission. They're all frauds, you see. They're all frauds. Viejo for social justice. These guys live in tiny houses, I guess. A movement that subscribes itself as abolition and socialist collective in the struggle for liberation. It's not 1968. Self-determination and poor working class solidarity said it was in an ill-judged flaunting of wealth. We are talking generational wealth off the deaths and struggle of black folks here, they tweeted. Justice Teams Network and BLM founder paid $1.4 million for a home. This past week, we bought a cot for an unhoused black elder friend to keep him off the ground one lgbtq activist described blm as a racket while wow, they're just getting it 
Author and activist Andy No tweeted, Colors identifies as a communist and advocates for abolition of capitalism, just like Bernie Sanders, who has four houses. Colors blame BLM and Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi in 2013, or they founded it, I should say, in response to the acquittal of George Zimmerman. Again, it was, uh, that was uh, based on a lie. Local organizers say they saw little or no money and were forced to crowdfund to stay afloat. These are local chapters of BLM. Some organizers say they were barely able to afford gas or housing. And by the way, in cities where uh, there have been Black Lives uh, Matter protests, the murder rate has gone up. I just read that this morning. It's for real. BLM's global network filters its donations through a group called Thousand Currents, which uh, makes things even more complicated when you are tracing the cash. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Uh, last month, the AP reported, of course, BLM had $90 million in donations. They haven't produced anything. And apparently, that leading Michael Brown Jr. to join the other Black Lives Matters activists, demanding $20 million from the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. But they're not going to get it because their founders are buying houses. <laughs> wow. This is classic socialism. It's what's going on in Washington, D.C. We have a two We have two different classes. We have the, the bourgeois and we have the proletariat. And by the way, the proletariat is Washington, D.C. It's the swamp. And they preach socialism and they live in big mansions. And they preach that you drive an unsafe little electric car and they drive in entourages of vehicles, these big uh, Chevy Tahoes uh, all in a row. <laughs> And they say that you should you should ride your bike to work, and then uh, and then Pete Boot Edge Edge drives his bike in the back of one of those big suburbans, and when he's within about a block of work, gets out the bike and bikes in. That happened. You saw it. Unbelievable. It's just honestly, uh, it, it, there's just so much you can't just get mad at it. You got to kind of laugh at it too. And uh, and sooner or later they'll get their comeuppance. You have to have faith that they will get their comeuppance. By the way, a city with the greatest number of residents moving out, socialist paradise, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. In 2020, a whopping 18 residents per 1,000 left the city, doubling the 2019 rate of nine residents per 1,000. Why would you want to leave a city that literally has an online map that tracks where the human feces is on the ground? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The number of people who moved from San Francisco to Texas increased by 32% between 2019 and 2020, and the share of those who moved to Florida rose by another 46.2%. Can you believe it? Let's just hope that these are not liberals leaving so they can convert these cities into crap holes like they've done to all Democratic cities like New York City, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, because they're kind of like the aliens in Independence Day. They devour the resources, and then they move on, and then they move on, and that's what socialists generally do generally do special assistant to uh, the president and coordinator for the southern border roberta jacobson announced she's leaving the government at the end of the month making the announcement a day after u.s customs and border protection released data showing record numbers of illegals heck of a job there heck of a job there uh roberta National Security Advisor jake sullivan issued a statement saying that jacobson would be retiring from her role as coordinator at the end of the month saying it was consistent with her commitment at the offset to serve in the Biden administration's first 100 days. So there you go. Heck of a job. She says, I leave optimistically. The policy direction is so clearly right for the country. (laughs) None of that is true. Absolutely none of that is true. Now, uh, the Times said that Jacobson intends to leave the government entirely at the end of April. Adding the time of her departure is nonetheless striking, coming in the middle of the administration's efforts to reduce the flow of immigration from Honduras. How's it doing that? Kamala Harris, like 18 days ago, was made the border czar, and she hasn't even had a meeting about it. So that's not true. Guatemala and El Salvador, Miss Jacobson had been charged with leading that effort when her appointment was announced last year. What they're going to do, you see, the Biden administration is going to do what Trump stopped doing, and that is pour money into the government's of these crooked countries, okay? The Northern Triangle, they are run by crooked people. They fleece money from the United States and did for years and years and years. Donald Trump came in and said, they get a half a billion dollars a year. We're cutting it off until they take their MS-13 gang members back. And that's when it stopped. What Joe Biden is attempting to do is what China does with North Korea. Prop up their economy so they can continue their bad behavior. Take all the money distributed among the higher-ups, the uh, proletariat, and the people will still suffer. That's what's going to happen here. It's the same thing happened with the Soviet Union in Cuba. It's the same thing happened with Soviet Union and East Berlin. 
at East Germany, and it will fail. It will do a face plant. Now, Secretary uh, Jen Psaki, Press Secretary, are you ready for some hot Psaki? Jen Psaki said on Friday that, um, you know, what really caused this, by the way, was reversal of Donald Trump's border policies, including the stay in Mexico policy. Which means that if you have a court date, you have to stay in Mexico until you get your court date. And so everybody leaving the triangle stopped. And illegal border crossings were cut by 85%. Here is Jen Saki with some hot Saki saying they have no plans on reversing the policies of the Biden administration, even though they're failing colossally. Thank you. Um, CBP data said this week that the number of unoccupied migrant children crossing the border, unaccompanied migrant children, sorry, had increased 100% from February to March. If these numbers continue to rise, is there a point that the administration would consider reversing or modifying the policy of uh, accepting all unaccompanied migrant, migrants under using Title 42 authorities? Would we would we no longer accept? Just so I understand the question. Okay, here she goes. She's doing the uh, the pause again. She's doing the. I'm gathering my thoughts. Can you repeat? The, she's starting to do this a lot lately because she's uh, beginning to not be able to defend what the White House is doing. So she asked people to restate the question while she thinks. Children who are under 18. Uh, I know you're surprised. She actually thinks. I would say, one, our, our, the reason for accepting uh, these children is that we feel it is not the humane step to send these kids back on their treacherous journey. Well, see, the, the Trump administration never did that. They, they took very careful efforts to make sure the kids get on planes and go back to their homes, to their families, so they would never sit back the desert. That's, that's, that's a lie. Our focus is on addressing the needs, opening up shelters, ensuring there is access to health and educational resources, uh, expediting processing at the border, uh, and those are the steps we feel that are most uh, effective from a policy standpoint at this point. Yeah, okay, you've got real credibility as far as uh, policy standpoints and what's working and what does not work. Here is uh, CBS uh, reporting that really what's happening at the border is climate change because, by the way, March saw the highest number of totally legal immigrants migrating into the uh, U.S. from Mexico in more than a decade, hitting 172,000, a 71% from the month before. So the month before. So nothing has changed from February to March. But something did happen on January the 20th. I'll let you think about that as you hear this ridiculous report from CBS. This week, we've also been showing you the roots of the border crisis, why people make the dangerous journey to the U.S. in the first place. Manuel Bajorquez reports from Guatemala on how climate change is forcing many into a difficult choice. How do you seriously, climate change is doing this, and that just happened since January the 20th, I guess. But Joe Biden says this happens every year, so that kills the narrative. Joe Biden says this happens every year. So, yeah. It's written in the hillsides, as far as Ruben Che is concerned. The crops that have supported generations of his family in the Guatemalan highlands are gone. They've never seen it like this before. So this would be full of leaves. And instead, it's It's not climate change. And this is the coffee bean. No good. You gotta manage your crops. The coffee and cardamom stood no chance. This valley turned into a lake after back-to-back hurricanes lashed the region last year. Yeah, hurricanes happen actually. With intensity and rainfall believed to be magnified by climate change. Gotta be climate change, absolutely. You know, climate change was gonna cause the worst hurricanes ever, ever, ever in the history of mankind in the United States. And then we went with like 11 years without them, just like, you know, uh, in the early aughts. Like many here, lured by billboards advertising a farmer's dream he took out a loan to get the operation running again but nothing's grown well and then you got to do something else for a living right right isn't that what joe biden says you 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 get rid of the keystone xl pipeline you go through some retraining that's what you you got to adapt it's a thing called adapting and apparently they don't like to do it abc did a uh, report this weekend about how biden was going to be a candidate and a president who brought everyone together now they're realizing he has no intention of doing that Joe Biden offered himself as a candidate of unity and moderation, somebody who would work with Republicans, even suggesting he'd be a transitional president. Look, I view myself as a bridge, 
not as anything. Wow. And seriously, we need some serious infrastructure if he's a bridge. That's a very old, decrepit bridge. I would not drive over that bridge. Nearly three months in, President Biden has blazed a different path, aiming to be a transformational problem. Oh, okay. He's not obstructional and he's not uh, uh, in any way confrontational. He's transformational when he just signs executive orders and forces things down people's throats. It's transition. President, acting to erase his predecessor's legacy and using his narrow... De- and make it really suck living in America. ...democratic majority to ram through the biggest expansion of government... Ramming through doesn't sound like getting things, you know, getting people together. ...since LBJ. LBJ, and of course that worked really well, considering that the poverty rates in America have essentially been the same since the war on poverty, which really, uh, kind of like the war on drugs, didn't work at all. Liz Cheney was on the uh, the weekend talk shows this weekend, even though she's, I guess, tracking at about 15% as far as approval rating and getting trounced by somebody who is planning on uh, primarying her for Senate. She won't be uh, a senator much longer. Here she is talking about Donald Trump continuing to uh, use inflammatory language and continuing to build on the insurrection faux storyline of January the 6th in Washington, D.C., Unfortunately, last night, uh, the the former president seemed to be talking in a proud way about the crowd size on January 6th. Uh, He gave the speech at Mar-a-Lago. Speaking of crowds, um, there were home openers this weekend in L.A. and Chicago, and the mayors of both cities got booed profoundly. I have the audio coming up. Oh, he was the keynote speaker at the RNC fundraiser um, and, and talked about Vice President Pence not doing more to stop the election certification. Uh, according to reports in the Times and, and the Post. So is he really the best messenger for the party? You know, the, the former president um, is using the same language that he knows provoked violence on January 6th. That was disproven in the uh, the faux impeachment hearing. Remember that? It, it was proven wrong. People had planned this in advance. So, Liz, you're wrong again. Uh, you know, as a party, we need to be focused on the future. We you honestly are not the future of the party, so you really have nothing to say about it. We need to be focused on uh, embracing the Constitution. Not You're the future of going back into the private sector. Embracing insurrection. Uh, and I think it's very... There's no insurrection. It didn't happen. ...important for people to realize that a fundamental part of the Constitution and, and of who we are as a... Oh, she's going she's gonna to refer to the Constitution. That's really funny because she's got an entire role of the Constitution in her bathroom. Americans ...is the rule of law. It's the judicial process. Sure. Uh, the election wasn't stolen. There it was, was never. It never made it into court, actually. Only a few cases and they're still pending. Was a judicial process in place. If you attack the judicial process and you attack the rule of law, you aren't defending the Constitution. You only do it when it's corrupt. That's that's when it's okay to attack it. Yeah. Okay, so Gil Garcetti <laughs> was introduced at a uh, a baseball game this weekend in uh, in L.A. And here's the glorious introduction, and here's the crowd reaction, which was really negative. Please join me in welcoming Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. Oh, Eric Garcetti. LA City Council Member Gil Sedil. Hall of Fame. Gil Sedil, Eric Garcetti. Yeah, getting confused, you know. Broadcaster Jaime Harin, Dodger owner Billy Jean. That does not sound like a thrilled applause. Let's hear it one more time. This is the reaction. Mayor Eric Garcetti, LA City Council Member Gil Sedil, Hall of Fame broadcaster. See, if I was introduced uh, at open mic at a comedy club and I got that kind of reaction, I'd say, thank you, have a great night, make sure to tip your bartenders and waitresses, see you soon. That's what I would have done. Here's what happened in Chicago when the uh, governor, the billionaire governor of uh, Illinois was introduced and the awful mayor of Chicago was introduced at a White Sox game. Uh, same, uh, the same reaction, different stadium. Please direct your attention to home plate as we welcome to the field. Illinois Governor J. Bree Pritzker and Illinois Department of Public Health Director Dr. Ngozi Azike. <laughs> the doctor and governor have led an all-in campaign to carry out a comprehensive response to the pandemic and help... I am not sitting in this stand buying a $7 hot dog and a $13 glass of beer to hear this kind of garbage. ...protect the well-being of Illinoisans. Their work with local and federal partners have built systems to roll out a five-phase plan to reopen the state safely. This, this is almost like this is like sitting at a at a ball game in Cuba. Listen to the the propaganda, the the 
<laughs> the PA announcer is being forced to read. Let's also welcome Chicago Department of Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwady and City of Chicago Mayor Lori E. Lightfoot. Over the past year, oh, here comes the propaganda. Mayor Lightfoot and Dr. Arwady have orchestrated a coordinated citywide response oh across government, God. business, and community organizations Ooh. to address public health and economic impact, establishing the Racial Equity Rapid Response Team and the. Co- Can we sing "Take Me Out the Ball Game" for something, anything, but get these awful people out of here? Are you kidding me? All right, so here is something interesting. Did you realize? that the city of Portland wants to get rid of or actually is not going to fund more police, even though the shootings have doubled from 250 to 250 in Portland since the start of 2021, up from just 111 during the same time last year. Feeling pressure from the community to do something on Wednesday, the city council decided to throw $6 million at the problem, but they're not doing it (laughs) by putting money with the police. They're giving it to park rangers who will be unarmed. An additional 24 additional rangers will be hired to provide a positive, unarmed community safety presence in Portland's parks and surrounding neighborhoods. Now, this gets really absurd. Park rangers are not sworn law enforcement officers, but they do have the authority to issue citations for park rule violations, which reportedly range from vandalism to carrying weapons. I'm going to explain how this is becoming the movie. We are becoming the movie Demolition Man, but here is a report from Portland. Good morning, Ken and Jenny. So to be clear, City Council doesn't expect Rangers to respond to shootings in parks, nor to be the police of parks. The Ranger isn't going to like this, Yogi. Rather, their role is to de-escalate. And the Parks and Rec Department says that Rangers are there to provide a community safety presence and to de-escalate all of these sorts of situations. Their role really is to protect the parks and also the park's natural resources yeah, as well. Yeah. And their training includes mm-hmm. de-escalation, de-escalation, crisis interaction. You ever tried to de-escalate somebody with a gun when you don't have a gun? Action training. It usually doesn't end very well for you. Mental health first aid training, verbal de-escalation, and conflict resolution. <laughs> Could you imagine the park ranger? Hey, we've got a guy with a gun in the park right now. Head on down there. Oh, no, you know, I'm not good. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead? I'm going to go ahead and stay here. I want to see my family again. A wide variety of other trainings. Their job is to de-escalate conflict, and if a situation becomes unmanageable or a weapon is involved, then... And the park ranger's been shot to death. ...to call police. When necessary, their teams work closely (laughs) with city partners. This is unbelievable. Now, according to uh, Portland for Positive Impact founder Randy Philbrick, my feeling, personal feeling, is that this is what happens when you have public safety policy created by people with zero public safety experience. He argued that criminals will not be persuaded toward de-escalization by the Rangers, but in fact, the new ordinance put those Rangers directly in harm's way. <laughs> this is so, this is amazing. Um, I know the level of respect they won't get, as we've already seen this, with a couple of park rangers getting a taser pulled on them. So we're setting these guys up for failure now. Uh, listen, the union representing Portland park rangers is evidently concerned as well, as it demanded the rangers be on patrol with Body armor. So that, that'll help. So if you're going to get shot, at least be having your body armor on. <laughs> this is unbelievable. In the in the last year, there's been increased sense of hostility towards city employees, wrote uh, local union organizer Ted Bryan. We are worried by the number of assaults, attempted assaults, threats, and harassment toward park staff, including rangers. In response, Bryan demanded that the council provide rangers with a level two body armor to protect them from projectiles and stab threats. And did you know that bullets are technically projectiles? Now, In the movie, The Demolition Man, if you haven't seen this, I have a scene here that I'm going to share with you where Wesley Snipes is approached by unarmed police officers, and he is a very violent criminal from the past who has a lot of experience with guns. Now, in the movie Demolition Man, I want you to listen to this because this is how close we are getting to this in big liberal bastions. Listen to this. Human contact is not allowed. You cannot shake hands. Human contact is not allowed. Sex has gone away. You can't have the act of procreation because of germs. You have to have it virtually. (laughs) I mean, come on. Think about what's happening here. The lines between the sexes are blurred. People are asexual largely in this this utopia. This is where it gets... Offensive speech is banned. And if you are caught with surveillance 
uttering something offensive, you are immediately fined. And, of course, the population is disarmed. Here is the exchange where the police get called on Wesley Snipes, who is a dangerous criminal from the past, and uh, in their response to him. Protect serve in place. Right before they get their butts kicked. Four minutes, 15 seconds lapsed. Maniac is imminent. Request advice. With a That's a police officer. Voice, demand maniac lie down with hands behind back. Simon Fe- Let's hear that again. Lie down with hands here, here, behind this is, back. This is the police officer asking for help and what the computer says he should do. With a firm tone of voice, demand maniac lie down with hands behind back. Simon Phoenix, <laughs> lie down with your hands behind your back. What's this? Six of you, such nice, tidy uniforms. That's uh, Wesley Snipes. Oh, I'm so scared. Now the police officer asks for uh, what he should do now. What, you guys don't have sarcasm anymore? Maniac has responded with a scornful <laughs> remark. Approach and repeat ultimatum in an even firmer tone of voice. Yes. Add the words, or else. Simon Phoenix. Or else. Lie down on the ground, or else. And this is where Simon Phoenix turns around and annihilates them completely. <laughs> yes, we are living. We are living in that place. We are living in that place. Wake a lot of great commentary and a lot of great guests on Newsmax. And this weekend and this week and last week are no exception. Uh, Chris Salcedo, this is a, a very tidy little commentary about Biden's border lie. At the same time, Biden and his team claim, with a straight face, they claim that the unmitigated disasters of the southern border, not a crisis. Well, look, I guess I should be flattered. People are coming because I'm the nice guy. That's the reason why it's happening. Yeah, that's the reason. I thought it was climate change, actually, not because you're a nice guy. I mean, it was climate change just, just literally three minutes ago. That I'm a decent man or however it's phrased. That, you know, that's, I don't. I'm going to disagree on that one. That's why they're coming, because no, Biden's a good guy. Truth of the matter is, nothing has changed. <laughs> Literally, he said it was climate change. As many people came, yes. 28% increase in children to the border in my administration, 31% in the last year of in 2019 before the pandemic. Biden is not a nice guy. He's a liar. That's not me saying it. The Associated Press, through a rare fact check of a socialist Democrat, said, wow. quote, according to statistics published by U.S. Customs and Border Protection, authorities encountered 9,457 children without a parent in February, a 61 percent increase. From it's because the climate changed. January, a far cry from 28 percent. It did actually my house, uh, too. In January, the grass was brown and now it's green. At this point, I'd like to remind you that Biden's policy of tears... I better drive an unsafe car. ...not only bringing harm to Texas and the United States, but also to illegal aliens themselves. Socialist Democrat Party's policies have led to six-month-old babies being thrown into the Rio Grande River. Three- and five-year-old little girls being thrown over that 14-foot border wall and abandoned in the desert. The Democrat Socialist Party's compassion has led to illegal alien detention facilities being fertile ground for sexual assaults. Yeah, but, you know, I guess it's worth it to the Democrat Party for all those voters. Here is Chris Salcedo talking to one of my favorite people, Sebastian Gorka, about Joe Biden's gun control. Chris, Biden the boob? That's too soft, that's too gentle. We call him sleepy, creepy Beijing Biden here on America First. <laughs> yes, I know. I've often been accused of going soft on Mr. Biden. You know, we observed, speaking of him, uh, the gun-grabbing program that he has introduced, and it's no different than any other socialist gun-grabbing program, yes. won't stop mass shootings, and it targets the law-abiding and not criminals. Your thoughts? I tweeted this out yesterday. The left went crazy on my Twitter feed. I said, I asked the question because I like to engage with my, my, my followers. I said, are you going to let Biden disarm you like Hitler disarmed the Jews and like Stalin disarmed his subjects? And the response I got from my million plus followers on Twitter, I tell you, this guy, he may be senile, he may be a doddering old fool, but he's also very, very unwise because people understand 
What he said yesterday, that there are no amendments that are absolute, is war. It is an assault on our Constitution. I just got a note from a friend of mine who says that uh, apparently she lives in Nebraska, and uh, in Nebraska in January, the grass was brown in uh, Nebraska, and now it's green there. Climate change! Greg Kelly talked to Will Chamberlain about the George Floyd trial. That is going on. There was a uh, bunch of riots. and Well, not really riots. Actually, it was just an excuse to steal stuff. In uh, Minneapolis, uh, many stores looted. Uh, there was a Walmart. There was, of course, a Nike shoe shop was uh, was looted all because of uh, social justice and all that stuff. Here is uh, Will Chamberlain talking to uh, Greg Kelly about the trial. The prosecution is not proving its case, you think? I don't think fully they are. I think uh, they're... They have a very, very tenuous case, both on causation and on whether uh, Derek Chauvin was even negligent with his use of force. Huh. On causation, there, there's a few problems that the prosecution has, uh, namely that there was a lot of fentanyl in George Floyd's system, uh, and there were two pills found in the back of the police car. By the way, I haven't made up my mind on the trial. I have not. Uh, I think some of the officers' actions were unnecessary. Uh, these were like pills that were had methamphetamine and I think fentanyl. But if I'm going to buy shoes, I'll just go go buy shoes. I don't break a window out and steal a bunch of them. And had George Floyd saliva on them, meaning he spit them out uh, while he was briefly in the back of the police squad car, which means he, when he, you've heard that phrase, I ate too many drugs, um, there's a good chance that he was eating some drugs. And the prosecutions try to get around this with some somewhat compelling expert witnesses saying, oh, it couldn't have been the fentanyl overdose because he didn't fall into a coma. But we still haven't heard any defense experts yet. And if and if the fine distinction you're trying to make is not he couldn't have died from hypoxia because of, a, of fentanyl, but rather he couldn't have died because we didn't see quite what we should have seen on the video. I think it's going to be pretty easy for there to be reasonable doubt. Well, it's because of all the white people in Minneapolis is the reason if you listen to Saturday Night Live, so you should go out and destroy stuff because insurance. Yeah, Here's a little bit more with uh, Will Chamberlain about uh, uh, CNN, actually, and the, and the networks are really misleading, and they're stoking. You want to talk about stoking unrest? By not presenting the arguments fairly, that is what they were doing because they're setting up their listeners to expect a result, and if that result doesn't happen, Minneapolis burns. The media are not doing that this time around. No, I mean, if you watch MSNBC or Don Lemon, all they're doing is saying, look how good the prosecution is doing, never even taking into account how good the cross-examinations are. And that's really irresponsible because, I mean, I don't think it's good. No, from CNN, irresponsible, come on. To get the hopes of your audience up and then have them be radically disappointed when the consequences of that could be right. I should open a riot supply store in Minneapolis right now. It'd be like one of those Halloween Expresses they open up in Best Buys that have gone out of business. I, I think in general that's not responsible. I could make a mint. And I mean, I think... Get your bricks here! Red hot bricks. It's, you know, there are many cases where you're like, oh, well, the media is partisan and that's annoying or the media is partisan and unfair. OK, but when that unfairness can lead to the disappointment of their own audience in a way that causes riots, I think that's that's just thoroughly irresponsible. No, but Donald Trump certainly did. He caused that riot. No, he didn't actually. Here is Rob Schmidt talking to Sebastian Gorka, a double shot, double shot of Sebastian Gorka on a Monday about the uh, borders are resigning from the Biden administration on Friday. Would you describe what's happening on the border as a crisis, given how these numbers are spiking so much week by week? You know, I think the, I, I really, I'm not trying to be cute here, but I is. think the fact of the matter is we have to do what we do regardless of what anybody calls the situation. And the fact is we are all focused. Okay, so that's the kind of stuff that we got from her, <laughs> a lot of bureaucratic nonsense. Your take on the departure. It doesn't matter what you call it. Yeah. How about we actually speak the truth? Oh. We have 60% of the girls, the women crossing the border being sexually abused and raped. We have the video of toddlers being thrown off the top of 30 foot high walls. We have a six month old being dropped off that raft into the river by the coyotes. This isn't a crisis. This is a catastrophe. Yeah. And if you cared one... I think the uh, White House is officially calling it the unicorn breeding grounds in a flowery meadow. Iota 
for the women, for the children, you would finish building the wall and you would stop this. All you are doing is getting people abused and making millions and millions and millions for the coyotes. That's right, this, yeah. is, this is an absolute tragedy, and it is all on Joe Biden's desk. I'm thinking of an expression. It starts with impeach and it ends in 46. Here's Rob Schmidt talking to uh, Andrew Giuliani about the border czar's retirement. Dr. Gorka is right. It is a catastrophe. I mean, I just saw from Jake Sullivan after they ended up firing this person who I would not have known was the border czar unless without that press. I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready to jump out of the handbasket that's on its way to, you know. Conference on March 10th in that yellow. I'm actually surprised you wore yellow because I'm surprised you didn't blend in right there. Mm. But Jake said that. Kamala Harris would continue to be the border czar after this person, Roberta Jacobson, stepped down. Remember, this is a vice president who has not actually gone down to the border. She has not been down there, yet he is saying that she is going to continue to lead. She's in charge, but she hasn't been there. All of government. I'm the new CEO of Coca-Cola, but I have never had one. On this, It is absurd. It is absolutely absurd. And the media actually has to start asking them some questions. Dr. She hasn't even done a Zoom call. had one of the best lines that I had ever heard. He had said, and I'm not going to try to do your voice, Dr. Gore, because it's too good. It's very hard to do Sebastian Gorka's voice. I'm saying, no. Oh, my God. I think I just did it. President. If, if President Trump walked on water, the media would say that he cannot swim. Walked on the Potomac, the media would say he can't swim. It's the exact opposite for this president. Of course. Of call course. it what it is. Just call it what it is. Yeah. Giant nuclear failure. Speaking of nuclear, it looks like Iran's going to go ahead and keep producing uh, nuclear weapons. And I guess the uh, Biden administration won't get it until there's a mushroom cloud above Tel Aviv. But uh, Grant Stinchfield talked to one of my favorites, KT McFarland, about the Iran nuke deal and how uh, they're not going to play hardball. They're going to play softball with a murderous terroristic regime. Well, what do you make of this? They're now announcing it's not just rejoining the deal. It's even watering it down even more. Yeah, like it was, it, the, the whole thing was mis, was a bad deal to start with, and the Biden administration has a lot of the same officials who are in the Obama administration who negotiated the first deal, and it never stopped Iran's nuclear program. They pretended it did, but all it did was put a pause on <laughs> Iran's nuclear program so that it could then start up, and Iran would legally be able to, to manufacture nuclear weapons. You know, if Iran is going to screw us over like this, at least they could buy us dinner, maybe. Maybe a bottle of wine. So fast forward to now. A little dessert. The Biden administration. and Soft music. If the U.S. rejoins the deal, the clock has been ticking for the last five years. I've only got Iran's for you. That means if Iran is now within a decade of being a legal nuclear weapons state, which is going to ignite a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. So it's, it's not only that, but the thing that's really upsetting is that we now find out that throughout the Trump administration, when President Trump was putting those sanctions on and knew that if he could cripple the Iranian economy, he would force the Iranian leaders to have a very different Iran nuclear deal than the one Obama negotiated. But we now know that he was being undercut at every step. Yep. That former Secretary of State Kerry and others, they were going to Iran. And that's illegal. Iran, and they were whispering in the ears of the Mullahs, don't go along with Trump. Maybe whispering, maybe nibbling a little, just, you know. Um, don't worry, just wait it out. We'll be back in power soon. I'll be back, baby. And then we'll revert to our own pro-Iranian <laughs> policy. Well, so it was being sabotaged yeah, throughout. Yeah, it did, right? While the president was trying to be the president, Donald Trump was trying to be the president, uh, Obama insiders were derailing any hope of peace. Oddly enough, it's kind of strange. Joe Biden hasn't called uh, Benjamin Netanyahu yet either. That's This is kind of crazy. This is kind of, I'm thinking they're kind of anti-Israel. This is really funny. Uh, Grant Stitchfield did a nice commentary on woke warriors and anti-woke warriors. There are a few anti-woke warriors out there. Believe it or not, I'm one of them. Uh, but uh, here he is with his commentary uh, from Friday. This is my top five celebrity anti-woke warriors at number five. Texas's own Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Life is not easy. It is not. Don't try to make it that way. Life's not fair. It never was. It isn't now and it won't ever be. Do not fall into the trap. All right, all right, all right. The entitlement trap of feeling like you're a victim. You are not. Thank you for the straight talk. Come right? on. At number four, the former Disney Plus star of The Mandalorian, Gina Carano. 
canceled for liking tweets from conservative pundits like me. The left-wing woke mob falsely accuses her of being a racist and transphobic. Ridiculous, of course. Of course. And she lost her big-time gig, too, right? But she refuses to stay silent. I live in California, and I, I've seen the hypocrisy that's been happening. You know, like, you know, they're going to the French Laundry, and they don't have masks on, and... If this were the worst pandemic in the history of the country, even Anthony Fauci would wear a biological hazard suit when he's out in public. But you see, when the camera's off, they take the masks off because it's a lie. Um, there's just been the masks are a joke. So much hypocrisy. Calling out Governor Newsom. I love it. At number three of my celebrity anti-woke warriors. Bring it. This guy needs no introduction. Charles Barkley. Politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. They divide and conquer. Bam. At number two, Ricky Gervais takes this spot. He took on Hollywood. You remember this? Oh, I love it. Face to face, and God bless him for it. If you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. Yes. You know nothing about the real world. Okay, and at number one Come on. of the top anti-woke celebrity warriors, Joe Rogan. It's all woke culture. It's this culture of compliance. They want you to comply. It's all, that's what it's about more than anything. It's getting people to change, getting people to listen to you and do what you want them to do. Yeah, only what they want you to do. It's time for the 99% of us to tell the 1% of woke people to shut their mouths. I'll just be nice. <laughs> Genius, legal mind, former Harvard professor and author of a new book, The Case Against the New Censorship. Professor Alan Dershowitz joins us on the phone. It is a thrill, sir, to have you on. I really appreciate it. I want to start... Thank you. I want to start with um, uh, Supreme Court stacking, which apparently the Biden administration has created a uh, uh, nonpartisan council to investigate this. Uh, you obviously are a scholar with regard to uh, the Supreme Court. What are your thoughts on this? Why, what is behind this? It's a way of giving the president cover. He's not going to want to pack the Supreme Court, but he's going to want to pack the lower courts, okay. uh, create many, many more judgeships in the courts of appeals and district courts. They determine 95 percent of all cases. And he wants a justification for loading them with uh, people on the left. What I'm concerned about is in the old days, that would mean liberals and libertarians, people who cared about free speech and due process. Today, the hard left is the strongest opponent of free speech and due process. And I'm afraid that the courts will be stacked with anti-free speech, anti-due process, people who call themselves progressives but really are regressives. Well, I remember in, when I first began in broadcasting 30 years ago saying that uh, liberals, traditional liberals, were uh, becoming leftists. And traditionally, liberal always meant open-minded. That's the exact opposite of what we are experiencing today uh, with regard to liberalism. Well, I think there are still a few liberals left. I wrote yes. a book recently called The Case for Liberalism yes. in an Age of Extremism. Yes. I think to be a liberal is to be open-minded and to believe in the right of dissent and the right of due process. But today, liberals are an endangered species, and we're seeing the emergence of these radical leftists. And the commission has on it one of its most prominent members is my former colleague, Professor Lawrence Tribe, who was anything but a liberal. And he is not an objective or neutral constitutional scholar who cares about the institutional integrity of the Supreme Court. He cares about getting his results today, if not today, tomorrow. And um, he will recommend packing the Supreme Court, packing the lower courts. Um, he will recommend all kinds of structural changes in order to get more of his ideological compatriots on the courts. I'm looking forward to reading your new book, The Case Against the New Censorship. And clearly you are a liberal because if you were a leftist, you would have never published something like this. I greatly appreciate the fact that you you are a classic liberal in a sense. When I was in college, I suppose I was a classic liberal, but have, have since kind of moved more towards the libertarian slash conservative, um, you know, end of the end of the spectrum. I was a toddler during 1968. Are you seeing, seeing shades of 1968 in the year 2021? I'm seeing the mirror image, first of all, of 1953 and four, the McCarthy mm. period. Yeah. And then I'm seeing parallels to the 1960s. Remember, people talk about the free speech movement. That was a phony title. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was free speech but for me, but not for thee. It was free speech only for the left. The people at Berkeley who promoted the free speech movement would never have permitted conservatives to uh, speak. In fact, um, today Antifa um, tries to prevent me from speaking and others who represent centrist liberal points of view uh, from speaking. I've been banned at colleges yes. and uh, Berkeley tried to ban me. I threatened to bring a lawsuit and they finally allowed me to speak. But we're seeing most of the censorship today coming from the hard left. And uh, I remember the 60s. I represented some of the people in free speech cases, but mm -hmm. there was also a lot of violence in the 1960s. Bombs were planted. People were killed. And um, I'm afraid we may see a repeat of that, yeah. um, particularly if you get, for example, uh, a verdict in the Chauvin case, which doesn't satisfy the uh, protesters. You may very well see the kind of violence that we saw following the Rodney King acquittal. It could be that or worse, actually. And I, I the Saturday Night Live, I'm not a big fan of Saturday Night Live, but they in, appeared to infer that uh, it's okay to riot and, and uh, violently oppose what happens if Officer Chauvin is acquitted because the insurance will cover it. And I think that's dangerous. I also think, and you may notice this with CNN, for instance, coverage, they're not covering the defense as the prosecution has taken the stand. And I think that right. they're, they're stoking a bad reaction if people don't get the, you know, the result they want. I have no doubt that that's true. Remember in the OJ case, they did a study, and people who watched Gavel to Gavel live were not surprised at the verdict. But people who got their news through CNN were shocked because CNN was only presenting one side of the case. The same thing is true now. But the same thing is always true with CNN. They only present one side of the case. And then their audience is shocked at how wrong they are. Yeah. Uh, they have specialized in making false predictions about so many things because they feed their listeners exactly what their listeners and viewers want to hear in order to sell soap and other products. And CNN is no longer a news, uh, credible news network. It has become a kind of radical uh, propaganda platform. And they're always wrong because they make predictions based on wishful thinking, not on the reality. My predictions about the law have always turned out to be right because I don't allow my preferences to interfere with my legal analysis. And the job of a lawyer is to predict what the courts are going to do, in fact. And I've done a much better job uh, than CNN. In fact, I've urged CNN to show what predictions their commentators have made and let the audience see how wrong they have been. And, uh, they're doing the same thing in the Chauvin case as uh, some of the networks are doing. Today, you can't trust most of the TV outlets to get objective news analysis. That's why you have to watch for yourself. What are your thoughts so far on the Chauvin trial? Do you think that the uh, uh, they're going to fail in the prosecution of this man? I mean, I see the video and I uh, I see some very troubling uh, physical. Uh, oh, of course. Concert. Of course, it's, of course. It's appalling. Uh, it it's is. appalling, it is. the video. There's a special place in hell for any police officer who participated yeah. in that. But yes, sir. That doesn't equate to legal guilt. Uh, this is not a murder case. This is a manslaughter case. And I don't know whether the jury will convict of third-degree murder. If they convict of second-degree murder, it will be thrown out on appeal. But third-degree murder is a possibility or manslaughter. But the criteria for manslaughter fits very closely. But if they don't convict of murder, there will be lots and lots of opposition and protests on the street. And already we're seeing some of that. And now, of course, in the middle of the trial... We see another police shooting that yes. has caused protests. The jurors are not sequestered, which I think is a mistake. Yeah. The case is being tried in Minneapolis, which is seriously <laughs> a mistake. It should be tried in a rural area where people aren't afraid that their businesses might be impacted, their schools, their kids, their welfare. Yeah. The judge recognized how serious this is when he made the jurors anonymous. We don't know their names, but they'll leak. Um, particularly if there's an acquittal, they'll leak. And what was the and, point? Uh, there'll be repercussions. And what was the point of the city settling with George Floyd's family for $26 million before the trial? Yeah, and that should never have happened. They should have waited until after the trial was over or the, or the settlement should have been uh, kept confidential. But a settlement is an admission, basically, of guilt. And so the city is admitting that its own police officer was probably guilty, at least from a civil point of view. So all of this may impact the jury verdict and uh, may result in there being appellate issues, but it will take a very courageous court of appeals to reverse a conviction in so uh, polemical and, and, and uh, so emotional an environment as exists now in Minneapolis. The one question that I wanted to ask you the most, because you are so conversant in the, uh, the Bill of Rights, 
Uh, Joe Biden said that with regard to an executive order last week banning um, some weapons and I should say increasing background checks, et cetera, with regard to the Second Amendment. He said that no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. And I've been dying to hear what you thought of that quote. Well, I think he's wrong. I think the Bill of Rights should be regarded as absolute. I would never want to tamper with them. If I were in the in the convention or among the delegates that voted for the Bill of Rights, I probably would not have included the Second Amendment. We're the only country in the world that has a constitutional right to bear weapons, but it's there. It's in the Bill of Rights, and I wouldn't tamper with it. Because if you start tampering with the Second Amendment, you're going to tamper with the First Amendment. I would interpret the Second Amendment as requiring well-regulated gun control, because the phrase well-regulated militia is what precedes the right to carry and bear arms, keep and bear arms. So I'm in favor of uh, gun control as long as it's reasonable, but I'm not in favor of amending the Second Amendment or the First Amendment. I do think there are absolutes in the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights are among those absolutes. Thank you so much for your time today. I cannot wait to get into your uh, your new book, Professor. It's been a real honor to have you on the show today. And best it's been of luck. My honor and pleasure. Thank you. Best of luck to you in 2021, sir. And I hope we can talk again soon. You too. Appreciate Thank it. You, you bet. Bye bye. Finally, uh, there were a lot of uh, generally on campus. We've heard of uh, some uh, acts of racial violence or uh, intimidation, and they almost universally on campus, are lies. This happened with Albion College last Friday. An offensive uh, writing included the phrases, die inward, and you know there are thousands of words that begin in, within in the English language, but only one in word, you know. And then, of course, uh, KKK white power, because that's really big at Albion College. I think they had a cross-burning. They actually, the KKK, I think they asked for a permit no, they didn't. As well as an anti-Semitic epithet, a Star of David with the number 666 written across it. More than 450 students and staff marched across the campus to protest the act and boycott the school. Here is the story of the protest. And should I give away the ending now? Yeah, actually, it was a, a black student who, who placed all of these uh, these anti-racist uh, epithets around campus. Yeah, another faux hate crime. Albion College students tell me progress is being made, but more still needs to be done. Today was about mental health and what resources are available here. It was a fake crime, so you don't need to work towards something that, that's already been achieved. On campus to students as they are fighting these injustices. There, there was no injustice. It's a lie. It's day three of some Albion College students <laughs> boycotting class. They're doubling down on stupid. Students say they are fighting for racial injustices <laughs> happening on campus. Freshman Brooklyn Tripp. It, it never happened there, Brooklyn. Says at the end of March, someone wrote a racial slur on her dorm door. It yeah. happened to me. You I, probably did it. I went home. I didn't feel safe at Albion College. Tripp says after her incident, more hateful acts started happening on campus. Albion College. Yeah, more more kids started doing it so they could get attention. This this happens all the time. Administration tells me they stand against racism. This is a this is a uh, a group of people and a generation of people who had no Vietnam and had no civil rights struggle, and they have to make it up so they can be victims. Hatred and that's what it's all about. Injustice. They say this week a student in one of the incidences was identified as a student of color and they were removed from campus. We are not anti-white. Our movement is not anything of that nature. We are anti-ism. Our goal is to remove hatred. After protests. They're anti-ism. <laughs> They're anti-ism. Wow. Okay. Okay. So the black male student was responsible for the racist graffiti. Albion police brought in the 21-year-old for questioning last week, and he admitted to creating the graffiti. Chief Scott Kipp told the outlet, adding the uh, video evidence from Albion's campus safety department, confirmed the student's statements. But uh, school administration officials are doubling down on stupid as well. We know the facts of racism that have occurred this week are not about one particular person or one particular event. They're fake. We know that there is a significant history of racial pain and trauma on campus. Yeah, you know, let's let's live in the present where it doesn't exist. Um, we will change and heal together as a community because we are committed to doing the work. Only with the left is a fake crime used to propel a movement. <laughs> This is just rich. 
this is just rich, and it's been happening all over the country because, again, it is the snowflake generation who's never gone through anything in their lives, and they need to be victimized. They need to pretend they are victims. They need to have relevance beyond just getting a worthless degree at a podunk little college. I don't even know their mascot, the Albion. What is the Albion? Is the Albion University? Is this the snowflakes? Is this, I think it could be the snowflakes. All right, that's going to do it for the show this week, guys. I am so glad to be back here on the Newsmax Daily. If you would like to check out the Newsmax Daily, it is all over. All digital platforms, of course, please share with others. Also, download the Newsmax app on your smartphone or your not-so-smartphone. Either one, it's free. And then, of course, if you need to know what time shows run, like my show, Rob Carson's What in the World, which is on the archive section of uh, Newsmax TV. Again, just go to NewsmaxTV.com. That's NewsmaxTV.com. God bless you guys. I hope and I wish you the very best this week as we march into April. God bless you, and I'll see you again tomorrow, and you'll hear me. Thanks for listening to the Newsmax Daily with Rob Carson. Check your cable guide or NewsmaxTV.com. Or watch free on YouTube, Roku, Apple, Pluto, Zumo, Amazon Fire, and your smart TV. Newsmax, America's fastest-growing cable news channel. Check NewsmaxTV.com for details.